Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to City Church. It's an honor to have you joining us today as we continue our series called You're Not Far. Now listen, if you're a guest with us, I'm really excited to invite you into our in-person gatherings. Every Sunday evening, evening, we're gathering at 4 p.m. indoors, safely, socially distanced. It's all sanitized, but it's also a great way for you to get connected, to meet some new people, and check out things on an in-person level. So I just want to invite you personally to join us Sunday evenings for our nights of worship and prayer. They're a little more scaled back, a little different from a normal service on a Sunday morning, but a great way to get connected in this season through the end of the year. Also, I'm really excited to let you know that we started an initiative called Food for Families. We're partnering with multiple other churches and organizations across the Boulder area to serve families in need during the Thanksgiving season. And so specifically for City Church, our goal is to serve at least 100 families with these bags. And so we're handing out these little cards. They look like that. They've got a QR code on the back. But here's the good news is if you haven't received a card or you don't know how to get one, or you're unable to actually get it in person, you can get onto our website, you can click the links there, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to Instagram, it's available everywhere for you to sign up to give a bag. A bag will cost you roughly $20, and and you go to the grocery store, pick up the items, and then schedule delivery and drop-off. It's an awesome way to make a difference this year. If you're not local or you're unable to actually get the items, there's even an option for you to donate online towards this initiative. But again, our goal is to to, uh, serve 100 families over this holiday season. And listen, if you're a part of the City Church family locally, I just want you to know this is an all-hands-on-deck opportunity of expressing radical generosity during the holiday season. And so whether it's you signing up for one bag, if you haven't done it already, I'm asking you to do it right now, today. One bag, two bags, five bags, whatever works for you, okay? Thank you guys so much for being a church that is in the city and for the city. We couldn't do it without you. Now, we've been in a a conversation, if you will, uh, um, around this idea of you're not far. And and, um, specifically today, I want to talk about just maybe something you've noticed before. Have, Have you ever noticed that faith often deteriorates as our circumstances deteriorate. Have you, have you ever noticed this tension? Like, like when it comes to faith, and I don't know where you're tuning in, right? Like, but, but our confidence in God, um, it, it rises and falls in light of our circumstances. And, and so maybe, you know, belief in God in general for you, like maybe depending on where you are in your spiritual journey, that the belief in God altogether has been paused for you because you're at a place where you're unable to reconcile the, the circumstances that you see in front of you or around you and the idea of faith. And so, I mean, you, we can land on multiple arenas in this conversation, but I think you'll find it to be true that faith often deteriorates. Our, our belief in God, our trust in God, it deteriorates as our circumstances around us begin to deteriorate. And, and the challenge here is specifically that when this happens, faith begins to be replaced with fear. And fear really begins to bring a new challenge, right? And think about it. The more personal the circumstances around you are, the more personal they affect you, 
the quicker this reality seems to set in. And so you think about different circumstances, whether it's you know, a loss of a job or, or even, I mean, you could just take the election and the uncertainty of our nation right now. Um, I mean, you could take you know, the uncertainty of personal health or, or, or uh, the uncertainty of maybe someone around you who you love and care about and, and just the uncertainty of their health. Or, or maybe it's the uncertainty in relationships and the dynamics as you're working through conflict. Or I mean, let's just take COVID, for example, right? I mean, COVID came in and was a complete disruption of our circumstances. And so whether it was financial or it was just in, in overall stability or, or, I mean, it came in and disrupted community. It disrupted maybe even family dynamics. I was having a conversation this week with one of my friends and my neighbors about how due to COVID, uh, one of their close relatives passed away and they were unable to go see them and say goodbye. And I was like, man, that's so heartbreaking. And this is a huge, huge disruption. And again, as, as our circumstances deteriorate, it seems that our faith does the same. And rightfully so, by the way. It makes sense, right? You don't have to dig very deep in order to understand why this is the challenge. But here's also an additional piece to it, and it's this, that fear turns all of us into fortune tellers, right? As fear creeps in, it turns all of us into fortune tellers, not fortune cookies, okay? I need you to pay attention. Fortune tellers. And, and here's what I mean by that, that we immediately begin to look at our circumstances and create our own conclusions as a result of what we see, as if they're actually happening. This, this is where we get into trouble, is that we, we have these moments where we become certain of what the future holds based on the negative experiences around us. And, and we become certain of what the future holds or what it doesn't hold. And we definitely don't have any confidence that anyone is holding the future. Do you, you see the tension here? And so on, on the macro level of this conversation, uh, the problem is that, that we don't just have this... Uh, um, assumption of, of results, right? That we don't have just an assumption of results based on the circumstances, but we actually act on our assumptions. That's the problem, right? It, it would be one thing. It's actually probably responsible. When circumstances are changing and deteriorating, you kind of play it forward and you think about circumstances and you try to be prepared. That's one thing. But when you and I come to our own conclusions as if they're reality and we act on our assumptions, we begin to create, create a, a reality and, and then behaviors around something that might or might not even be true. That's why, for example, we had a toilet paper crisis at the beginning of the year. This is really random shortage of toilet paper due to COVID, and it has nothing to do ex uh, with anything except for the reality that fear set in that influenced our assumptions and our actions. That's the macro level. Now, let's apply it to the faith realm. Again, I don't know where you're tuning in. Maybe you're uh, new on your spiritual journey. Maybe you're kind of skeptical. Maybe you've been checking it out for a minute. Maybe you walked away from faith. Maybe you're kind of engaging faith again for the, for, for the first time. Maybe you've kind of been stable in your faith, but you're also trying to grow. And I, I don't know where you are, but when it comes to the faith dynamic and our circumstances, when they begin to shift, it's why we start to ask the hard questions, right? I mean, think about it. We start to ask, man, if God is so good then why did he let X happen? If God is so good, then where was he in this? If God is so good, then what about this? And we start to evaluate our understanding, our, our perception of God based on our circumstances. And here's the challenge is that the easy response, the, the, the cheesy, shallow, it feels like it carries no weight response would be, oh man, listen, you just gotta believe. Like, God's got this, right? I've seen so many people during the election time who are followers of Jesus, right? They're like, don't worry. God's got this, right? Like, like Jesus is on the throne. And, and I hear what they're saying, right? And by the way, listen, there's nothing, I mean, those aren't false statements, but they're kind of shallow, right? Like, they don't really uh, uh, help us in the moment necessarily be, because they, they don't 
seem to address maybe the deeper heart issues that we seem to be struggling with. And here's the deal. While I, while I totally believe that God has got this, I, I genuinely do, um, I, I don't know that I have the moral authority to tell you that. Hey, you just need to believe because God's got this. But here's the good news. I know someone that does have the authority to tell us that. And that takes us to where we are today in the book of Mark. We've been looking at the story of Jesus as told by one of his best friends, Simon Peter, one of his closest followers, and as dictated by his traveling companion, John Mark. Right? Peter was a fisherman, probably uneducated. This is right before he's going to give his life for his faith. Mark is with him. They're dictating the story. This is where we get the, the New Testament book of Mark. And, and in, in particular today, Peter wants to let us know something very intentionally. And that is that, that after 35 years of, of holding on to this, right? I mean, I mean, he saw Jesus die, was buried three days later, saw him rise again. He was a Jesus follower. He, un, he unfollowed Jesus. He denied he ever knew Jesus. He refollowed Jesus. And now 35 years later, right before he's about to give his own life for his faith, after most of his friends, by the way, have already been murdered for their faith, I mean, I mean, he's held on to this thing through a lot. He wants us to know that he still believes that Jesus is God. And this is so important. But like, listen, spoiler, by the way, Peter, he, he saw the worst thing imaginable happen to the best person that he had ever known. You talk about circumstances that will shake you. This amazing king that he was following, this amazing movement, this God-man was arrested and murdered in front of him and lost all hope. And he saw the worst thing ever happen to the best person he's ever known. And then after the fact, he could look back and he would tell us today that he still walked away believing that God was good and that his circumstances did not dictate his faith. And, and so for you and I, He's continually pointing us to the same message that Jesus has been over and over again repeating in this story, and that is to repent and believe. It's like, I don't know where you are, right, on your spiritual journey, whether you've been following Jesus for a minute or, or you're kind of on the outside looking in, but Peter is inviting us, hey, repent and believe. What that means is to turn in the direction that Jesus is inviting us into, to change the way that we think, to adopt a new worldview, to understand God in light of who Jesus said that he was, to understand uh, what it means to have a relationship with God based on what Jesus has done. This repent and believe is a face and embrace reality that God is doing something so amazing, so brand new, and you and I are invited into it. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story. We, we saw last week that they're traveling from a, a northern region in Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. And uh, this is a big deal. Again, they think Jesus, right? He, I mean, he, he's the king. He said that he's God. And so now they're on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus is doing some amazing things, but he's also kind of confusing them with language. And as they travel, right, the crowds around Jesus, they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, like, I mean, he resurrected one dude from the dead, and he's healed a blind man. And, like, the blind man is in the crowd, right? I mean, so, so not only are a bunch of Jews heading to Jerusalem for the Passover, which is the Jewish festival that they're going to celebrate, but then they're hearing rumors of this rabbi that that has done amazing things. And so this crowd is getting huge. And there's, there's this moment, there's, there's an assumption accumulating in the crowd that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to declare himself king, right? This is what they've been waiting for outside of Roman rule. Jesus is going to take over. God's going to establish his kingdom. It's going to be awesome. There's this huge assumption that's going on. And then we don't have time to go there, but in Mark 11 and 12, kind of where we're picking up the story, um, 
We see Jesus heading into Jerusalem, and all the crowds are there, and they're celebrating, yay, Jesus, way to go, Jesus. And, and they're making, hey, you know, we're so excited that the kingdom of David is here, and they're making these political statements. There's this huge assumption that Jesus is there to take over as the king in that moment. And so then Jesus heads straight into Jerusalem and goes straight to the temple. And this is a big deal. And you got to imagine, as Peter tells this story, he's like, oh man, this is the moment, right? We've been going with Jesus the whole time. Now we're getting there. Jesus is going to the temple. I mean, this must be the moment he's going to walk in, declare himself king. So they're, you know, getting excited, rubbing their hands together. Jesus walks into the temple, looks around, turns around and walks out. Heads outside, uh, two miles outside the city to a, a little town called Bethany. And then multiple scenarios, Jesus would go into town, and then, and, and then go back out. Go in and go back out. And then a couple of times, right, one time he rolls in and he just flips a bunch of tables and he, and he calls all the money changers crooks and, and, and says, man, this is not what God wants for, for the people. And then a couple of other times he rolls in and he's arguing with the religious leaders and, 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 and really, really uh, uh, stumping them to the point to where like, they're amazed by his teaching, but they also hate his guts, right? Like, like to where they're going to plot to find a way to kill him. And as they're doing this, like back and forth in, in, the, in the temple, okay, there's a scenario that happens. Check this out. Um, one, of the, one of the followers, uh, they're, they're coming out of the temple, temple, and one of the disciples said, hey, teacher, look. Look at, look at these wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. He's, he's talking about the temple. It's just an amazing, amazing thing to behold. I mean, it's just truly a beautiful, amazing structure. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says to him, hey, you see these great buildings? There's not going to be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So here's a picture of, of the temple that, that, that they would have been uh, um, engaging with. And so they walk out, and he's like, man, isn't this a beautiful? And I mean, we're talking, guys, you, you can't probably see it in the picture, but each of these itty-bitty stones inside the picture here, they would weigh upwards of 600 tons, not pounds, tons. And, and they built the temple to be, I mean, I mean, basically earthquake-proof, okay? So when Jesus makes this statement like, man, you see that, that, that thing isn't going to last, right? Those, those stones are going to be thrown down. I mean, it, it just sounds absolutely absurd. What do you mean thrown down? 600-ton stones built on a foundation that can't be shaken by an earthquake, and they're just going to be thrown down? And then, and then this is, uh, um, you know, you know kind of unique because for Jesus, this is one of the most remarkable unexpected. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is so important. It's one of the most unexpected and verifiable prophecies given by anyone at any time. That in this moment, Jesus predicts that, that the temple in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem as a whole, is going to be sacked. That 40 years later, from the day that Jesus says this statement, 40 years later in 70 A.D., the Rome is going to come in and destroy everything. And quite literally, the stones are thrown off the edge of the cliff exactly as Jesus predicted to where this is a picture of what we have today. Quite literally, these, these stones were thrown off and dismantled and, and, and the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem. And not only is it amazing that Jesus would prophesy this and it would come true. I mean, I mean it's just so amazing that, that we can look to things like this as evidence for faith. But here's, here's what Jesus was saying in the moment. That something greater than the temple 
is here. Something greater than the temple has arrived, which you and I don't understand the weight of that, but that's so important because the temple represented God's presence. It represented the connection between humanity and God. And Jesus saying something greater than the temple is here. It's something that would make the person beside you, listen, don't miss this, the person beside you every bit as sacred and important as the temple in Jerusalem. Right, Jesus is pointing to the reality coming that the Spirit of God was going to inhabit, take up residence in, make his home in his followers. And they're going to be walking, talking temples from now on. There's no longer a need for this temple because of this new, amazing thing that God is doing. You guys get with me? This is so very important. And and so we're going to go on. In in verse 22 uh, um, of of Mark 14, Passover is happening. They gather together in in a room, and as they're eating, again, we're just kind of moving along the story here. As the the disciples are with Jesus, they kind of go up to this room thinking that maybe this is it, right? Because Jesus didn't exactly come in and declare himself king on the front end. And so maybe this is like the final evening. We're going to get together, and then tomorrow Jesus is going to, I mean, this is it, right? It's King Jesus time, and we're going to take over. It's going to be awesome. And so they get together, they're eating, and they're expecting this big moment. And it's absolutely going to be a big moment. It's just not the moment they were expecting. Jesus took some bread, and he blessed it, and then he broke it, and he passed the pieces out, and he gave it to each of the disciples, and he said, hey, take this bread, and as they're putting it into their mouths, and they're chewing it, he says, this is my body, and I don't know about you, but I imagine for me, I mean, it would have been like, right, like, <laughs> like wipe your tongue a little bit, you're like, uh, come again, what, 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 what was that, and then Jesus kind of just keeps going, right, and he goes, hey, and took a cup of wine, check, this is so funny, took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it, gave it to them, and they all drank. <laughs> and then afterward, Jesus says to them, this is my blood. <laughs> right? like, can you imagine? <laughs> what? Why? That, what, what? Say, say it again. What, what did you just say? This is my blood. And I mean, you're freaking out. I'm, you've already said some weird things, Jesus, but now I'm confused. Your body and your blood. And then he says something really weird that you and I might not catch. And he says, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. What? Wait, what? We, we, don't, need a, we don't need a new covenant, right? We, we, we just need a new king. We need a new kingdom. Like, like uh, well, and, then, and then what's the covenant for? Like, a covenant's between two parties. Like, what's it about? And Jesus is laying it out. Hey, this is about the new covenant, the new thing that God is doing and who, who are the parties between God and everyone else, right? That everyone is invited into this incredible relationship with God made, made available by Jesus' body and his blood. Over and over again, he said the statement, hey, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give my life. And they're just not getting it. And as Peter's sharing this story, right, you have to understand he's, he has hindsight now, but in the moment, they have no idea what's going on. And they're very confused. So they're hoping we're still moving towards this kingdom thing. But Jesus has said some weird things. And he said it's going to be poured out as a sacrifice for many. There it is again, talking about giving his life for humanity. He says, I tell you the truth. I'm not going to drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And they're like, sweet. Like tomorrow, right? <laughs> like that, that's the idea. They're like, cool. Yeah, tomorrow. Let's do it. And so then they, they pray. They leave. They go to the garden. Jesus is praying. They hear some weird things. They hear some rumbling. They see some lights in the distance. Clubs, pitchforks show up. I mean, there's a mob, and, and they're there to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. And Jesus looks at the crowd, and he says, am I some dangerous revolutionary that, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? 
Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. Right, Jesus, I've been, I've been there every day, and you guys come in the middle of the night like I'm some dangerous crook. Right, and then, and then you need to understand, for Peter and the guys, I mean, things are unraveling. Let's go back to our circumstances, right? Our faith deteriorates as our circumstances deteriorate. In this moment, things are not looking great. I mean, Jesus is the king. He's not supposed to be arrested in the middle of the night. I mean, I mean, he's not supposed to be hated by the people. I mean, this is not going how it's supposed to go. So Peter is faced with a moment where his expectations and his circumstances are not aligning. And so he does what we all try to do in those moments. He tries to control it. Watch what happens. And so then Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. I think that means that Peter's a bad aim. I doubt he was aiming for his ear, but I mean, in this moment, what does Peter try to do? Absolutely not. What do we all try to do? When our circumstances get out of control and fear starts to creep in, we say, ah, no way, and we muscle up, and we try to control it, and we try to get our hands on it, and we try to make sure it doesn't get out of hand, and so Peter, you know, does the only thing he knows to do, and it's to stand up for Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, hey, don't don't worry about it. This this is all part of the plan, and and Peter and, and the guys, I mean, they are so very confused. And in this moment, his expectations and his experiences, they don't align. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a moment like that? And when, when you and I can't control our circumstances, right, what, what happens? Fear starts to take over and we lose hope. And this is what happens. We see it in verse 50. That all his disciples, they bailed. They deserted him and they, and they ran away. And I think Mark would pause in this moment and say, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, Peter, are, are you sure you want to include this in the story? Like, doesn't exactly make you look like a hero. And Peter would say, man, they need to know that, that I, I lost all hope in this moment, right? My, my, my circumstances deteriorated. My, my faith was deteriorating. I mean, Jesus clearly wasn't who he said he was. God clearly wasn't doing what, what, what I thought that he was doing. And, and, and again, in, in, in these moments, right, we begin to believe that, that the, we believe the worst about God when, when our circumstances are at their worst, right? I mean, you, you find this to be true, that we believe the worst about God when circumstances are at their worst. This is when faith really has a struggle. And, and you need to know for Peter, his conclusion in this moment, he bails with everybody else, and he would say, guys, God is not near. I, I thought God was near. I thought Jesus, come, I, thought the whole, I thought it was all coming together. I thought Jesus was the king. I thought he was God, but he's not. He can't be, not based on what we see in front of us. And so, so they, they roll out, and they bail. And so Peter would look at you and I, and he says, listen, if, if you're in that moment where your circumstances are telling you to bail out and, and, and your, your faith is crumbling, he says, listen, I get it. I've been there. I've done that. And I absolutely came to the conclusion that God was not near like I thought he was. But then Peter would look at you and me, and he would say, but I was wrong. I was wrong. And he would, with everything in him, I think he would look at you and I and say, hey, don't do what I did. Don't bail like I bailed. Don't, don't assume just because your circumstances don't look like you expected that God is not near and that God is not involved. Because the very men, guys, this is so important. The very men 
who abandoned Jesus on this night. The very men that, that had this gap set in between their expectation and their experiences. Those same men would spend the rest of their lives making sure that you and I get to hear this message. And that is that God is near. They would spend their lives. They would give their lives. They would lose their lives so that you and I could hear that God is indeed near. And what that means for you and what that means for me is that you and I are not far. And what happens next, friends, what Jesus does next, the series of events that take place next, everything standing in the way of you knowing this reality. Hear me, listen. I don't know where you're tuning in and if you know this to be true or not, but everything standing in the way of you and I knowing this reality and you and I experiencing this reality, everything standing in the way Jesus removes. And that's where we're going to pick it up next week. And so don't miss the last week of You're Not Far. Before we get out of here, a couple of questions for you. Number one. What area are you, are you tempted to fortune tell in right now? Like what's going on in your life that you're trying to fortune tell and you're making up conclusions about your circumstances and you're just kind of already writing things into place that maybe aren't so? Is there an adjustment? Is there an adjustment that you need to make in your actions or your mindset? Number two, are there some circumstances that you're allowing to influence your faith? in a negative manner. Your closeness with God, your trust of God, your belief in God altogether. And lastly, where are you being tempted to desert or flee? Where, where, where are you tempted to bail? Is it a relationship? Is, is it a job? Is it, is it uh, you know, where, where you're living? Is it uh, with family members? Is it, is it with yourself personally? Like, what is it that's being stretched in you right now that would be easier to run away from? Where is it that there's a gap between your expectations and what you're experiencing? And here's my question for you. Who could, who could speak some wisdom into that alongside you? Listen, this is one of the reasons that we have city groups so that you have community around you that can, that can breathe life into you in these areas. Hopefully, like me, you, you realize that our circumstances definitely influence how we perceive things, and maybe our perceptions aren't whole and complete, that maybe God is doing something that we can't see, that maybe God is near even when he feels far. And maybe for you, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and as you're tuning in and you're listening, maybe there's been some disconnects, maybe there's been some things, some circumstances, some irreconcilable pieces for you that, that make it really hard to connect faith with what you see. And maybe for the first time, some of those things are starting to deteriorate in the right way. Maybe for the first time, you're starting to understand that God loves you, and that what Jesus came to do was going to be to tear down those realities, that, that Jesus indeed is making the reality for you and me of being near to God because he came near to us. 
Maybe for the first time you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're, where you're willing to extend your faith and put it in Jesus. That is, uh, believing that he was who he said he was, that he could do for you what he said he would do. That as he's giving his life a ransom for many, as he's establishing this new covenant, it's not just for people out there or for people once upon a time, but it's for me and you to give us a relationship with God and to change everything. So if that's for you, man, you can, you can text in the word follow on the, on the screen for you. We'd love to connect with you, help, help you take some next steps. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have some next steps, you want to get baptized, you want to get plugged into community, however we can serve you, let us know. We're here for you. Love you guys. Grateful for you. See you next week.